back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. This is episode 26, kind of mind-blowing to say that, of our Penguin Classics book review series. We are aiming to finish 80 Penguin Little Black Classics, which are snippets of classic works of literature or samples of literature. And we are on episode 26. We're here today with a review of a Victorian London author, and the collection they've titled is Of Street Pie Men, you know, people who sell pies in London. And it is by... One second. Henry Mayhew. I was going to say Patrick, but his name's not Patrick. It's Henry Mayhew. He was a journalist and an author living in Victorian London, so 1800s, and was just a chronicler of the times, an observer of the times, wrote for a lot of different newspapers, wrote poetry, short stories, novels. So sort of just a jack-of-all-trades living in London, and that's what we're reviewing today. This is, for better or worse, another solo podcast. I have not been able to get a hold of Ryan yet for a podcast, though, again, he's doing very well. He has a new baby, he and his wife. And so they're, you know, in the midst of parenthood. It's very exciting. I think he's been keeping up with the reading. I know he's listened to some of the episodes that I've been doing solo, so he's keeping up on the times and reading along with us. But he will not be joining me on this episode. It's going to be another solo one. Hopefully you also caught last week we put up a bonus podcast on The Inferno because I had an old friend of mine, Drew, and he joined me for a sort of bonus follow-up review of that book, which was excellent. It was so fun to have another person on, another brother of a sort. And I think we'll keep trying to explore that and try different guests out in the future. I thought that was a really fun way to expand on the pod and get some different uh, thoughts, opinions, and analyses in here. So let's talk Henry Mayhew. I am going to play with the format again this week that, and as long as I'm going to be doing solo episodes, I think I'm going to try and put a little bit of a spin on each book review just to change up the format, play with different ideas that I've had, and just kind of see what works. When Ryan returns, I'm sure we'll go back to some traditional formatting stuff. Uh, But who knows? Maybe the experimental streak will keep going even when we return with your regularly scheduled two-person book review programming. Uh, Henry Mayhew was born in 1812 in London, and he died there about 60 years later, it looks like, 70 years later. Wrote a lot of things, as I had mentioned. Um, The Encyclopedia Britannica um, entry for him here says, He had a genius for lively and sensitive reportage of people, including social outcasts and nomads, and of contrasting ways of life which the Penguin Collection, I would say, perfectly encapsulates that. It's, I would say, mostly focused on people who are downtrodden or impoverished or disadvantaged in in London in that time period. But he does sort of overall have an unsparing, unflinching eye for detail and seems genuinely curious and meticulous about documenting their lives. The way I'm going to do the book review today is, again, a little different than how I've been doing it in the last couple weeks. I'm going to try something new. This one is going to be set up as basically an extended compare and contrast. As I was reading this collection, I was really struck by the style of it and the incisiveness and just the overall structure and focus. I really don't think there's a modern equivalent. I could not think of one. The, the closest you would get to reading something like this today would be some kind of quote or paragraph in like a reputable online newspaper or maybe an article, something like New York Times, Washington Post, or even something more detailed like the New Yorker Atlantic maybe. Just... It, Often you'll get these these um, 
paragraphs or details in a report like that that quotes a person from from on the ground, you know, where it's like, okay, we're investigating this week, let's say public education in Chicago. That was a big story from this year. I remember there were strikes and things. And, you know, they, they definitely ask teachers or teachers aides questions in those pieces. But they don't live with the teachers. They don't go home with them. They don't report in the on the depths and like details of their budgets and their time spent and all that stuff. I mean, again, you'll occasionally see that reporting, but it just does not have the sensitivity and touch that I thought this collection had. The closest thing I could think to compare these um, essays to are really kind of high-profile celebrity write-ups and profiles that some magazines and um, newspapers and such do. I'm thinking like GQ, Vanity Fair, places that get the most famous people in pop culture, whether it's from music or acting or whatever, and they do those write-ups. You know, they go have the author follow them around for a few days or a week and then just do a write-up on their rising star and celebrity. That is the kind of detail that this person, the Mayhew, is imbuing into these um, essays. And it was the only point of comparison I immediately thought was really valid. And so I'm just going to basically look at four of these celebrity profiles that have been written somewhat recently. The Tiger Woods one is from the 1990s, but the other ones are from very recently. And I'm just going to talk through and sort of compare and contrast, analyze the style of them, and try and draw out what I think is similar in, in Mayhew's writing to these profiles. And maybe, you know, you'll end up having your attention directed to some recent celebrity profiles, which can be illuminating to read. They can also be a little circular and just kind of like... I don't know, self-fulfilling in a way, and I'm not sure if I'm phrasing that right, but I guess it's like you don't come out with anything new. You don't understand anything new, but I think the great ones actually do deliver something pretty insightful when they're well done. So let's jump right in with a compare and contrast. I've pulled four profiles here. Let's begin with a very recent one in the New York Times. This one, I think, was from this past week, so November... Uh, roughly November the 12th through 20th, some date in there. And uh, the title of it was, This Tom Hanks Story Will Help You Feel Less Bad. The very 2019-sounding internet-type headline there. Um, I think this the, the compare and contrast that stood out to me with this one is when you have these write-ups where you want intimacy with a person or a group of people, you have to be careful on how you insert yourself in your own personal background as the author. I think this profile is one that does it pretty, uh, I'm going to say aggressively, I don't mean that to sound like a negative connotation, but the author gives background about her own difficulty raising children, just, you know, general life, personal issues, illness, and... Um, all of that is sort of used to kind of pry at Tom Hanks and make comparisons and sort of just illuminate the kind of person he is. And also, you know, build some kind of ethos in the author as well, I think. And it's interesting because I don't think Mayhew ever goes this far. There's a quote in the New York Times one where the author interjects, quote, I'm not sure where we got the concept of an everyman, but Tom Hanks isn't really it. I don't know people with hundreds of typewriters. He is the platonic ideal of a man, a, pro a projection of what we wish we were, or more worrisome, a theory of what we actually are. And well, have you read the other pages of this newspaper? Sort of the implication being, things are not great, the news is rough. Um, and there are just moments like that where you're, you're seeing the author tip their hand, you know, whether it's emotionally, intellectually, whatever. Uh, Mayhew is so much more reserved, but not 100%. I think he skirts it really closely. Uh, there's a quote um, from him on page 15 that says, such indeed is the riot, the struggle, and the scramble for a living that the confusion and uproar of the new cut on a Saturday night have a, has a bewildering and saddening effect upon the thoughtful mind, which, you know, he's projecting his thoughtfulness there onto us. 
And he does give some opinions like that, but as I've mentioned, they're pretty light and reserved throughout. He really does leave it to the interviewees or to the topics of his writing to kind of speak for themselves and deliver messages for themselves. And he really steps back a lot more than I think, you know, you read that Tom Hanks profile, which was really interesting and well-written, but you do get a good sense of the author from it. Mayhew, I'm not quite as sure. You know, he ends that same um, quote and description of a London, that was from a London description of a kind of like a marketplace. Uh, he calls it noisy and brilliant glory. So he, he kind of revels in it. But he, at the ending, he just describes it as, quote, the mob of purchasers has diminished one half. And instead of the road being filled with customers and trucks, the pavements and curbstones are scarcely crowded. A very neutral way to end it. Extremely kind of hands-off description, just trying to account for what has changed in the economics or in the situation with the sellers in London. And so I think that stylistically jumped out, that he he doesn't quite jump in as aggressively. This was also the stylistic component that jumped out to me the most when I read a GQ, sorry, GQ profile of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, our probably most famous movie star, and it's called Dwayne Johnson for President. That was another really recent one, definitely from 2019. And in that profile, I think the author of all of these I read is the most assertive in sort of putting their bent on things, putting their voice into it, which again, I'm all for. I don't think that's a problem in a profile, but it just jumps out. You you feel the author's presence a little bit more. There's a quote where they say, you need a bigger space for sure, I say. I squint to see if the gym ever ends or if it simply follows the curve of the earth, its collection of machines with names ending in EX stretching on to infinity. Which, you know, a really humorous observation and kind of makes for a nice little hyperbolic description, um, pretty vivid. And then there's a follow-up quote that describes when they're at the gym together, quote, We are both clad in black leggings, but his cling to the muscles of his calves like nightfall descending over a mountain range, and mine look more like two toilet paper tubes painted black. It's sort of a fitting and poetic compare contrast in and of itself i don't think anyone is going to look flattering next to the rock is that even that's not even possible he's like a chiseled you know like walking statue person it's unbelievable Uh, but still a nice little you know hint of the author's voice and i imagine an editor you know probably at some point clicked on that one in the google doc and wrote you know are we sure are we doing you want to do this much humor are we you know are we distracting at least that's how i imagine it um but i kind of like those flourishes Again, Mayhew really is more reserved. And so his writings about London, if you're going into it thinking, I want somebody really acerbic and just like, you know, really digging in and and throwing these, you know, uh, firebombs left and right and critiquing people, criticizing the society, it's there, but he's more fly on the wall. He really does pull himself back. He says things like, quote, on 27, Indeed, there was an exquisite charm in the many different sounds that smote the ear from the busy port of London. It's clear in almost every essay that this is a sort of madness and chaos of a modern city. It's a madness and chaos he enjoys. He finds it invigorating and maybe a little baffling. Um, And he, too, is not above a little touch of humor. Uh, On page 40, he's describing the life of someone, that's an essay about the life of someone who catches birds for a living, to sell, I think to be eaten, or maybe just for some other use or purpose. I don't know if he said. Um, But he describes the captive birds on page 40 as, quote, The captive birds are secured in cages, and the call bird continuing to sing as if in mockery of their struggles. Because, of course, in that profession, you have to use one bird to trick the other ones to come and get trapped, um, which I thought was, you know, it's a little personification that's kind of a fun little touch. And he does have moments like that, but I think generally the style will be 
way more you know business-like, if you want to call it that, or like I said, fly on the wall. Probably his strongest reaction, most opinionated moment, was on 22. This was an odd essay because the notes in the back of the Penguin book say that he really loved these um, vulgar theater performances he attended. I did not get the sense of that. He seemed explicitly critical of the performance that the young people were putting on. It was sort of a great, like, generational divide between, you know, people who want one kind of art, and then there's a new form that comes up. And, you know, of course, it's the job of the old to criticize the new trends of the young. That's just how, you know, people work, I suppose. Um, And he says on 22, it was absolutely awful to behold the relish with which the young ones jumped to the hideous meaning of the verses, because most of the play is just curse words and swears, and I'm assuming all kinds of colloquial, you know, like, yeah, cursing, really. It does establish his point of view as maybe a little bit rigid, and I don't think, though, given the rest of the essay, he's totally unsympathetic. He's incredibly observant and misses almost no detail, you know, whether he's observing the performance or the audience in this, and so... It would be unfair to say he's just out of touch and just throwing critiques, but he I thought he was just explicitly having a dislike or a really strong negative reaction to that performance. Uh, I'm going to move on to another profile now. There's two more that I pulled. These ones uh, have a little bit of comparison and contrast them as well. Uh, This one I remember reading, and I'll probably never forget, it was a GQ profile on Tiger Woods from the 90s, I think 96 or 98, and it's called Tiger Woods the Man, Amen. And it just, I remember reading it and having my opinion of Tiger Woods completely turned on its head, essentially. And I'm someone who knows nothing about golf. I also read this way before his, you know, extramarital affair and his rehab, all that stuff. This was like, again, this was in the late 90s. This was a decade even before that stuff happened. And so I just thought it was a really illuminating one. When I went back and reread it, the thing that jumped out to me the most as a point of comparison contrast is one... Again, the style in it is unmistakably Charles Pierce, the man who wrote it. It's it's extremely playful at times. It has these uh, repetitive structures in place that are kind of, you know, sardonic, I think, in a way, and are, like, really playing with the, the reader. And again, Mayhew just is not going to write that way. The thing I found similar, though, was the just level of painstaking detail that you have to go to at times to kind of clarify the life of the person you're profiling. Um, And I'll pull a quote here, or a couple of them from the Tiger Woods profile. This is from a paragraph description of a Tiger Woods golf performance. At Lacoste on Saturday, he birdied the last four holes to move into a tie with Tom Lehman, the 1996 PGA Tour Player of the Year. On Sunday, however, Lacoste was drenched by a winter storm out of the Pacific, and it was determined that Lehman and Woods would play a one-hole playoff for the championship, the $296,000 first prize, and the brand-new Mercedes-Benz. And then he goes on, yada, yada, here's the details of the playoff. There's another quote later where he's also being really descriptive, and he's letting Tiger just speak for himself. This is a quote from Tiger Woods directly, really long one. And he says, quote, You know, the prize money, that's the paycheck. That's the money I earned for myself. All that other stuff, my Nike contract and Titleist and now the All-Star Cafe, to me, that's a bank account. But it doesn't really make me happy as what I earned through the blood, sweat, and tears on the golf course. That money, I have the sole responsibility for earning that. Just me alone. All the other stuff can depend on how good your agent is. And these are the quotes that probably jumped out to me the most. The first, because it just, you know, we've got the the details of the golf playoff, you know, who hits what hole, what the weather was like. We've got the money situation, you know, here's the prize money exactly. You know, it's not enough to say he's just going to win a lot of money. It's, you know, you give the figure... And the second quote is something that um, Mayhew does a lot, which is just let the person speak 
in extended quotes. Don't try and take them out of context. Give them the full brunt of their own context. I mean, there's pages in this collection where it's just somebody speaking. He's just transcribing what the person said, whether it's an orphan or a person, yeah, a pie man, you know, selling meat pies on the streets of London, or that there's that pigeon um, catcher, that bird catcher man. All of these people are allowed huge chunks of real estate just to speak for themselves. And I think that relentless detail, again, you're either going to love that and kind of get absorbed into it, or you will might find it monotonous and just think, why is Mayhew spending half a page describing every expense that a, that a London pieman has? Like, here's how much flour costs at this place versus this one. And if you grind it yourself, you don't pay this. And it's really meticulous. Um, and he, he'll do that in describing nearly anything, but especially the subjects that he profiles. On page eight, for example, he describes the uh, London River and he says, quote, far beneath in the direction we were sailing lay the suburban fields. The roadways striping the land were like narrow brown ribbons. The bridges over the Thames were positively like planks. The tiny black barges as they floated along the stream seemed no bigger than summer insects on the water. And it's, it's got that quote just kind of has it all in it. It has these slight little comparisons, these analogies or similes that make it kind of vivid. It's clear to picture. It's also, you know, pretty just factual to probably how he experienced it. So sensory wise, you just kind of feel absorbed into it. And that stuff goes on all the time. I pulled another one from 13 where he's just quoting people. And this is from maybe a quarter of this paragraph. Here's some of it. So old again, roars one. Chestnuts a lot. A penny a score, balls another. An a penny a skin, blacking cries the butcher. Half choir of paper for a penny bellows the street stationer. An a penny a laudens, two pence a pound grapes. And it just goes on and on like that. I'm man, I I didn't even try and do the uh, British or English accent there, and I'm so glad I didn't because who knows what I would have butchered. Uh, you can just imagine it yourselves. Just put your own British. Everyone's English accent is there is the most embarrassing version. So just do yours, and I'll spare you mine. But that quoting when he's clearly just absorbed in this crowd, goes on for minutes and minutes um, of reading, pages and pages, and that's the kind of meticulousness he has. I think great profiles know when to pull that stuff and when to push it, and I think Mayhew does too. It didn't make it for such a boring read. There were some number calculations that kind of lost me, where he's really breaking down, here's how every expense for a pieman would, would break down, essentially, and that became too much at times, but overall... I kind of enjoyed it, and it definitely shows expertise and immersion, which I like. Okay, the final profile that I pulled is from The Fader, which is an online sort of magazine, and uh, it's on an R&B artist, Kalola, and she's one that I really love. If you take nothing else from this podcast, you should really go listen to her uh, album from, I think, last year, two years ago, called Take Me Apart. I thought it was... I don't, you know, I don't listen to as much R&B as I probably used to, but I thought it was extraordinary. Like, it, it's really exceptional. Anyway, the profile is called, Kalola is ready for you now. And I think this one is a good one to demonstrate maybe the most important job of a profile, which I'm going to put this in my simplest, like, tutoring high school writer's terms. It's, you just have to hit the why of things. Like, there has to be a broader connection, maybe a societal connection, maybe some kind of revelatory point about, you know, humankind or human life or just something. It just has to hit a why. And that, that why can be, as I've hopefully just laid out, really anything. It just, it's the author's duty to take this person and their intimate experience and just sort of throw it out and, and hit the why on the dartboard. I think this one in the fader does it really well. Um, it sort of paints 
her journey in terms of identity, in terms of her being an immigrant of Ethiopian parents and trying to navigate an industry in music that's predominantly white men. And there's just all kinds of conflict built into that. Um, there's some quotes in here that kind of clarify that. It says from um, Kalela, quote, And as a black woman, it's challenging to break through without taking what could be perceived as an uber-aggressive approach. That's why Kalola's celebration and command of sensitivity and rawness in her music is both fortifying and revolutionary, end quote. And the author in this profile is not afraid to kind of revel in it and find a joy being with her, which again, I think when you're profiling, it's good to be honest with your reaction. It seems like they got along really well. Um, she says, quote, when Kalola played me SOS for the first time during a studio visit in July, I swirled my index finger and painted every note of her closing melody out in the air. I told her that this is a song that I could see me and my girlfriends attempting to harmonize to with our eyes closed. You know, a reaction that I think most people want music they can play with their friends. Um, and again, that, that second quote hit gets back to the style we talked about. You know, when does the author push in? When do they pull out? But the first one, I just wanted to pull something that connected it to broader societal trends, broader issues within industries or within, uh, you know, just talking about, she talks explicitly about misogyny issues in the industry and at large. She talks about her influence within certain music scenes, you know, being treated well in one and not well in another. And, and I think... That's sort of crucial if you want to make a profile hit the why question. Like, why did I spend my time reading about this person who's probably very successful and, you know, most likely at least a little charming and probably, they're probably cool, but is coolness enough? Um, and I think this one did pretty well at getting at that. I know that um, Mayhew's Wikipedia page lists him as perhaps uh, a Marxist in some ways. He definitely struck me as incredibly sympathetic and empathetic to the lives of the poor and misunderstood those cast-offs of society. And it seems like in his longest work, which was, I believe, called London Labor and the London Poor, a collection of his writings just observing these people, um, I think that would be probably a fair way to categorize him. I will say, though, in the Penguin Collection, he do he does not explicitly connect things and the connections he draws are, are seem pretty simple he does not berate you with like his own interjections and philosophies or, or ideas about society and trends and so i think you know he is more objective in that way he really does let the person that he's profiling speak for him or herself um, when he's quoting a, a little orphan who's a flower seller he lets her say on page 33 quote but religion teaches us that god will support us and if we make less money we say nothing and that's just a, in a series of long quotes about her extremely difficult existence and her and her sibling just sort of struggling to make it on the streets of London. Um, I think those are the moments that jumped out because it's, you know, it's kind of an intimate thing you're given access to, these people speaking for themselves. But it's important that in moments like that, for me, he does step back a bit and just says, here, here's, you know, a page of quoting. I'm going to let this person tell their story because they deserve to. And then he does jump in occasionally, but it's... As I said, not too aggressive. He's kind of silent on some topics. I think the closest he gets to saying just a direct statement of, I don't know, political opinion, I guess, is about the same group, the orphan flower sellers. And he says, quote, The statement I give of two orphan flower sellers furnishes another proof, in addition to the many I have already given, of the heroic struggles of the poor, and of the truth of the saying, what would the poor do without the poor? And, you know, I think that's a connection and sort of an interlocking interdependence that he admires. He doesn't view it as weakness. I think he views it as, you know, outright strength and strength of character and just strength of life, proof of life. 
And so, you know, you can't say, you can't read this and say he has no opinion, but if you're going in expecting really explicit connections, if you're going in saying, I want to understand really broad historical trends from Victorian London, I don't think Mayhew is the person. I think he's more, um, I think I use this expression in this pod, but like boots on the ground. He just feels like he has truly walked the walk and has embedded himself and seems like he's invested and, you know, wants to portray these people with sensitivity. I think in the Kalola profile, it's also pretty clear these, the author and her kind of got along and got to know each other well. Um, and, you know, I came out with it with a richer understanding of her music. And also, again, you know, they just, she connects it to important issues of our time about immigration and about, you know, the changing demographics of industries and other things, which I think ultimately you're coming out with the why. I think Mayhew hits the why, but it's probably a bit more implicit at times. And that concludes the four profiles that I had pulled from and the Mayhew quotes that I think illuminated best his style and the work that I had read. Hopefully you enjoyed the little change up in format, as I had mentioned at the beginning. I'm going to keep playing around and trying to come up with different ideas and connections to explore. I will leave us, though, and end the episode with a review. I would feel remiss if I did not do that explicitly. This, I think, is another perfect slot in for a two. It's qualified recommendation. If the quotes intrigue you, if you think you'd like, you know, a deeper understanding of really specific Victorian London life, I don't mean, you know, here's a hundred years summarized in a paragraph. I mean, really meticulous, minute details. I thought it was fascinating. There, there were a lot of interesting jobs that are gone, a lot of lifestyles that, you know, are foreign to probably most of us if you live in the States nowadays um, in terms of hustling to get money and just figuring out a lifestyle scraping by. Um, not that that's, that's too common, frankly, but there's definitely a hint of, I don't know, Englishness and specificity that I think you'll get and probably enjoy. It's a really curious thing and really intriguing. As I've said on previous episodes, I really appreciate you sticking around for the solo pods. Hopefully you've been enjoying them. Um, I'm going to keep just trudging along happily. I'm having a great time uh, until Ryan can return. I'm sure when that happens, I'll you know put an extra exuberant post up about it. Um, but until then, we will see you between the classics. And P.S. You should really go listen to that Take Me Apart album. I just put it on. It's so good. That's it. That's all you should take away from today. Read Mayhew if you want to, but definitely go listen to Take Me Apart by Kalila. You will not have regrets. We'll see you between the classics.